What's up, 88.9 The Bridge? I'm Ellie Sadler, and I'm here interviewing Terry Morgan. Terry Morgan got his Bachelor's of Arts degree in Ethnomusicology and his Master's in Systematic Musicology at the University of Washington. He's the CEO and owner of Modern Enterprises, a company founded in 1979 that is the most successful minority-owned event production company in Washington State. His company provides talent, technical, and production services to help create the best event they can. They host many celebrations, including concerts, events, and galas. Some of their clients include Nordstrom, Microsoft, the Museum of Flight, and Seattle Children's Hospital. Thank you for joining me today, Terry. How are you? I'm doing fine, LA. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so how did you decide to enter the business side of the entertainment industry instead of pursuing like a strictly performance career? It just kind of happened naturally. I mean, I've been a p- p- player since I was 13 and uh, I grew up on Whidbey Island. So I kind of just put my own bands together and started booking my own bands. But found out it was just as easy to book other people's bands <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Once I had the relationship with the other schools, I could say, hey, there's this band from Seattle. you want to book them? So I just was bold and started making phone calls. Awesome. And, <laughs> and then, so what inspired you to create Modern Enterprises? Well, I was doing, I, I never, just to correct a little bit of my bio, I didn't finish my master's. I was like two quarters away and uh, from being done. And I just got tired of academia mm-hmm. after being in school for like, six years or longer yes. and uh, it, I had a friend named uh, James Husted who was an electronic musician and he had a buddy that he was playing with named Roland Barker and he was starting a new band called the Blackouts and they were a really really progressive uh, art rock band punk rock band basically um, and I liked them and so I started managing them and it kind of just drew me away from academia into the punk rock world and we ended up joining up partnerships with uh, three other guys, Mike Vraney, Jim Lightfoot, and Carlos Ganduzzi. And we formed Modern Productions at the time and took over the Showbox Theater. Uh, at the time, it was a bingo parlor called the Talmatora. And we would go in there on the weekends and put on punk shows. So the first band we did was a group called Magazine, which featured Howard DeVoto from the Buzzcocks. And uh, the Blackouts were the opening act. And from there, we just started booking more punk bands from the Northwest, everything from the West Coast, uh, from everything from the Dead Kennedys to, uh, oh, who else? Uh, Black Flag. Uh, uh, just a whole ton of stuff from the States, uh, including the Ramones, the Iggy Pop, and then all the English stuff, too. <laughs> uh, we were we were the, uh, the first American stop for a lot of the British bands who would fly from London to Vancouver and then end up coming to Seattle. And so we had the Police, uh, Squeeze... Uh, from Australia, obviously, uh, XTC, Gang of Four, PIL, The Specials, The Selector, uh, Dire Straits. It was just on and on and on. We just, every week we had a different band from England and it was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So like, how did you get in contact with all these bands? Cause I'm sure it wasn't easy. Well, a lot of it was just, um, Mike Verney and Jim Lightfoot. Uh, Jim owned a shop downtown on first no and second and pike basically uh called time travelers and it was a comic book shop that sold punk rock records and so through those record companies we develop relationship with the record companies and then with the bands and so we would call the bands directly say hey you want to come to seattle and say sure we love to come up there so that's awesome it was was totally a do-it-yourself kind of business at the time 
Yeah. And so, do you have any, like, events or concerts or anything that have, like, stuck out to you the most? That, like, you're the most proud of or anything? Well, the first time when the, when the police played the showbox was pretty special. Because sure. the the, uh, the specials were the opening <laughs> act. Great ska band from England. And uh, the whole thing was really kind of crazy because... Uh, it's nobody really believed that this alternative music was going to be anything, so we couldn't get any press. We barely got any airplay. I think KISW was the only station that was playing the police for us, but everybody else was like, "Uh, <laughs> music, yeah, who likes that?" <laughs> and so uh, when the police came, we kind of made history. People were like, "Okay, this this music is here. This is this is going to be big. It's growing." And then the next time we brought them into town, we put them at the Paramount. So it jumped that that fast, and XTC was the opening act on that. So that was a really special show. I mean, there's been so many great ones. James Brown in the showbox was pretty amazing. I bet. Uh, that, that, that was just a big party. And I went on to have a long-time relationship with James over the years. And we last time we worked together, uh, we were doing uh, Halloween shows at the Paramount, big James Brown Halloween parties, which were like the funnest party you could ever imagine because it was just totally danced and costume and just having a great time. And then across the street at the uh, Camlin Hotel used to be the Cloud Room, which was a, 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 a cocktail lounge up on top. You used to have a piano player just playing a piano bar. Well, the James James's band would always usually stay at the Camlin, and instead of just going out on the, in the, on the town, they'd get bored, so they'd just go up to the Cloud Room and jam and it was funky it was fun and people would like hear oh james brown band's playing at the camlet and one time i remember it got so crowded they had to turn the elevator off oh they no let, they stopped letting people up there so that was a great time <laughs> <laughs> i bet that sounds very eventful and like something you would want to experience oh yeah so how do you decide like which bands to suggest opening for people or like how do you pair the bands together you know it's just kind of in my head you know if, if there's a band that i think deserves the opportunity to be seen in front of a large crowd or if uh, if it's a band i manage <laughs> they, have an, they have an advantage there <laughs> but you know i i like to see opportunity you know I, if i didn't ever get the opportunity to do the things that i've done i would not be where I am now yeah. and so offering other people the uh that chance is 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 kind of fun you know mm -hmm. and just seeing the new uh the new reaction you know mm -hmm. when you when you uh put a band in front of an audience that's not expecting something really unique and they're totally blown away that gives you like the sense of accomplishment that you've done something good yeah um, and you're also the director for Boralis Festival of Light. Can you give us a quick overview of what this company is and how it inter interacts with the Seattle music, like, entertainment yeah. scene? So Borealis is a light festival. And so we work with light artists and musicians to create really unique kind of large-scale experiences. Uh, most of the work is animated, other than the light art installations, which are actual art creations. And we held the first festival in 2018 at South Lake Union, at uh, South Lake Union Park. And nobody really knew what it was going to do here. And I had an idea that it was going to be big because my, my partners are based in Budapest, Hungary, and they're involved in light festivals all over the world. So we knew that we, we, we had the right combination. But when we kicked things off, we had no idea that we'd do 120,000 people our first year. 
and everybody was kind of just shocked and surprised but overwhelmed but that it turned out so great and the quality of the work was so good mm -hmm. so we continue on doing uh, things in the digital world uh, two years ago I did the New Year's for the needle um, uh, not this year but the past year yeah and uh, that kind of set records as far as uh, viewership for King TV uh, for New Year's and uh, what everyone was shocked about was the afterlife uh, the video online has over a million, 1.1 million uh, uh, views, and it jumped off into the rest of the social media like wildfire. And within a week, it had 1.1 billion uh, digital uh, impressions, which is pretty cool. <laughs> That's super cool. <laughs> um, and so I just have one more question for you. And I know you mentioned earlier that you didn't really like the or you grew tired of the academic scene but do you think it in any way like benefited you in leading companies like Borealis and Modern Enterprises? Oh yeah yeah I mean if if I I mean I feel very fortunate to have the education that I have and I mean going back to high school I had what I think was very very superior uh, teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, my physics teacher uh, his name was Tom Graff. His father, his grandfather was, um, was were, they were German, but he was Graff of Graff Zeppelins. I don't know if you know, know anything about Zeppelins, but mm -hmm. you know, Zeppelins were big inflatable flying machines. And so he would talk about the Zeppelin industry and I was like, whoa, this is really, really cool. But he was totally into being uh, you know, an environmentalist and conservationist. So that kind of gave me inspiration. Plus my music instructors, uh, Ed Bridges and Vernon Greenstreet were, were really world-class uh, musicians on their own and what they passed along to, to me and others was you know pretty amazing. Uh, college was great because I just studied what I wanted to study and just I kind of absorbed all the cultures uh, possible. Like you say I did my work in ethnomusicology and, and history of jazz so I just became a sponge for, for information and also that's where I kind of started in my uh, my visual work. I studied uh, video art with Bill Ritchie and uh, we used to do um, abstract electronic art on, for television which is all way before MTV. So if I had never got that exposure from school I would have never developed a, a project like Borealis. Awesome. Yeah thank you so much for coming on here today and talking to us. This was super cool, super informational, informational and I'm very glad we got to talk. Yeah, and check out our website, the, mm -hmm. the Borealis Festival of Light site. You'll see a lot of the work that we presented in 2018. Uh, plus, you'll see uh, the, uh, the One World, One Heart, which was a big piece that we co-presented with our associates out of the IMAP Festival in Bucharest, Romania. And it was all artists doing work towards making statements about COVID and, and how to uh, survive COVID. And this last week, we unveiled a new piece called Enlightenment. Uh, it's Artists United uh, for Peace, which uh, we debuted at the Seattle Art Museum, the Asian Art Museum. And it actually surprised us all by, we had over, we started out with 30 cities around the world mm -hmm. that were going to show the piece. And now it's up over 65 cities have been, been involved and more and more get involved all the time. So uh, we'll be posting uh, on Facebook where we're going to show it again. But until this war is over, we're going to stay visible. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to this interview with Terry Morgan on 88.9 The Bridge.